Hey everyone, John here. Welcome to today's special Tuesday edition of the Urban Tech Podcast. I know we've been on a bit of a hiatus for giving you new pod content. We've been pretty busy testing out our new paid subscription product, and I've frankly been busy playing with my puppy a lot and making sure he doesn't tear up my house. First off the bat, I want to say thank you to all of our early subscribers to the podcast and newsletter who helped us prove that there's a huge need in the market for a paid subscription product and community focused on this nascent urban tech space. I've been really excited to connect with early subscribers over the past year and increasingly over the six months to help me get an idea on what a paid subscription product and community for urban tech could look like. We already now have a good amount of paid members helping us find the early bugs in our new platforms and infrastructure that we're building out for urban tech as a business. I've been getting a lot of early questions on how urban tech premium and a paid subscription will differ from a free subscription. The answer really is we're still figuring it out. I think some of these answers are answered in the second part of today's podcast episode where I chat with my friend Emily Pick, who's the manager of a community called Propel that I am a part of. She helps me figure out how to explain it because I'm still frankly figuring out how to explain it. But I think a few things that paid subscribers will be guaranteed at sign up, they're going to get exclusive content that free subscribers you don't get. You'll get early access to content before free subscribers, access to our Slack community where you can connect with members of the urban tech community. And right now we're building out membership profiles and other channels and methods for connecting with people like events, which you will also get access to. So more on that to come. I hope you'll consider joining Urban Tech as a paid subscriber and supporting us as we build out our product. One of the things that your early subscription will help me do is pay other content creators, writers, freelancers, editors to scale our content operations quickly and swiftly. I know $40 a month is a premium price, but I think what we're building will be worth it and I'm super excited to continue building out the future of urban tech with you. Now let's get to the first part of today's conversation where I interview the CEO and founder of Zen City. This is a conversation that we ran in the newsletter a couple weeks back, an abridged version, but here's the first version. And part two is my conversation with Emily, and you'll get to hear our candid conversation on what it's like to run a new business and how how it is to build a new business and what it's like building a product in this nascent community space that I think a lot of media operators, a lot of people across business functions and industries are trying to capitalize on in different ways. So I hope you enjoy and thank you as always for supporting us at Urban Tech. So I'll thank you so much for joining me. I'd love if just maybe at the top, if you could explain a little bit what Zen City is and what you do on like a day-to-day basis. Sure. So Zen City is a startup actually headquartered of Tel Aviv, Israel. And our goal is to help local government leaders understand the needs and priorities of the communities that they serve on a community at large scale. We measure inputs coming in from a lot of different channels, both our proactive ability to question and survey the community and our ability to listen in on organic discourse, things people are sharing on social media, and provide an in-depth analysis of community needs and priorities to power decision-making around uh, 
policy, resource allocation, and messaging. And today we serve about 200 local governments, mostly in the U.S. Yeah, and I don't know if like you can name, because I'm sure you're the, probably, <laughs> but what, yeah, sure. are there some examples of what types of governments, since I'm sure it's like a pretty wide variety? Yeah, sure. First of all, we're super transparent about it. You can go on our website and see the list of our customers in full. But we work with cities as big as LA, Chicago, Houston, Phoenix, Philadelphia. Those are number two, three, four, five, and six in the US top 10, all the way to tiny communities like the village of Lamont, Illinois, or the town of Blue Ash, Ohio, or the city of Rockport, Texas. So quite a wide diversity from cities of 10, 9 and 10,000 residents, all the way to 4 million people in LA. So I guess, and not to get too much in the weeds, but I guess what does the product look like or the services specifically like, and I'm sure it changes a lot based on what the locality or city needs, but could you maybe go a little bit more into that? So it actually doesn't change that much. It's a SaaS product, meaning it's the same for everybody. And the way it works is very simple. We basically loop in the data coming in from all these inputs and use some AI, some machine learning to make sense of all of this infinite stream of, of unstructured data. We're talking about listening in on that organic discourse. We're talking about hundreds of thousands or even millions of comments on a monthly basis for the communities that we serve. And we loop in all that conversation and we run few algorithms on them to recognize the topics that are being discussed, the sentiment in each one of these comments, whether it's supportive or detract. And then we loop all that in, in a very simple, um, easy to read dashboard that city managers and mayors can access online on their mobile, on their browser. But basically at the end of the day, you'll just see a graph that says, here are the topics that are being discussed in the city, for example, transportation or gun violence or COVID vaccines or whatnot. Here's the volume of conversation on each one and the sentiment towards it according to your community. Oh, yeah, that, no, that's awesome. I'm curious. So you're in Tel Aviv, but you work with a bunch of US companies. I'd love to just hear, I don't usually get into backgrounds like too much on the <laughs> show, but I feel like that's a very interesting call out. And I know Tel Aviv has a very active tech community. So I just love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. The majority of our business is in the US, about over 180 communities of the over 200 we serve are, are in the U.S., almost all of them in essence. And they're also pretty widespread in 34 different states from uh, uh, California to Wyoming. And I think it's it's an interesting experience. A lot of our team is American, just living in Tel Aviv. I was born in Boston. We have people from someone who worked for the city of Hoboken all the way to people who moved to Israel when they were two years old. But, but I think one of the interesting things about being based in Tel Aviv is that there's, as you said, a very active tech scene here. So it allowed us to recruit a lot of top engineering talent, raise a lot of venture capital to build a company that really serves this use case who didn't exist that much here in Israel. We're one of the, probably the, one of the first go tech companies here in the local tech scene. That's awesome. That's super. Yeah. I'm trying to learn a lot more about the Israeli tech scene because I've been reading about it and I feel like like I used to work with Cornell mm -hmm. Tech and yeah. obviously there's the relationship there and I think it's incredible. So I'm curious, like what types when you're working with like localities and government and you're working through, I don't know, I'm, I have a feeling that like a lot of times they're probably skeptical or maybe if you're working with like urban planners or certain people in localities, they're more open to data tools. Like who in, I guess, the government are you like specifically like working with like in customers or trying to build trust with? So being an urban planner myself, when we started out, I was very much aiming for the planning community, but we were mm -hmm. 
surprised to find out that the pain of not being able to understand the community at large is actually a pain that's felt across the local government organization, across all the different departments, and especially so in senior leadership. Today, the majority of our users are actually city managers. So the city manager's office, including the city manager, him or herself, deputies, assistants, communications teams who report up to city managers are very active users of ours. And roles like strategic planning and, uh, and of course, more classic planning as well. But even police departments, transportation departments, parks and recreation, public works, we have users across the board with the city manager's office being our hub usually. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Is there like anything like at a broad sense, like any interesting urban trends or like city trends that like maybe, I don't know, obviously I'm sure a lot has changed in the last year and that you've been able to see with COVID and the pandemic, but anything at a high level you'd call out to the listeners or readers as, I don't know, maybe one or two things that were really interesting or surprising or maybe weren't so surprising? Yeah, definitely. I think. Right now, one of the most surprising trends for us was, and we started talking about this a few months ago, was the skepticism towards the vaccines. One of the most interesting things, in my perspective, is the role that local communities play when it comes to vaccination. Because we don't think about it oftentimes. In most places, the county or the state would be responsible for the vaccine operation, and the city would, at the most, be supportive on the logistics side. But in essence, there's a a very clear vested interest for a city to raise the, the the vaccination numbers within it because that's a ticket into reopening local businesses. It's a ticket into emerging from this crisis to some level or another. And one of the things that surprised me a lot is when we started seeing conversations about the vaccine, we started seeing that there was much more negative sentiment and skepticism and misinformation about this than probably about any other issue we've tracked in, in quite a long while. And I think I can share that just being a little bit in the future now in Israel, when it comes to vaccines, they are hitting that skepticism wall now. That's what's standing between Israel and reaching that herd immunity is that we're plateauing on that 60% mark because a lot of people that are just skeptical about the vaccine are not showing up to get their shot, even though we have you know, shots available. Yeah, wait, so I'm curious, and like maybe this is like a more in the weeds question, but you're talking about sentiment and like measuring that, but what does that look like from a tool perspective? And can you maybe walk me through like the tech stack a little bit of like how that works exactly to make calls and provide an analysis? Like, I don't know, I've used tools that say they do that, but yours definitely sounds a lot more sophisticated than I think I've used. Yeah, so imagine mapping out cities' social media landscape. Uh, social media, local media, online conversation, mm -hmm. all of the pages and groups and accounts and hashtag, everything that makes up the sphere of conversation that's happening in the city. Once you map that out, you get access to a very wide, very strong collective consciousness of the community uh, and of the different parts of that community, different pockets of, of communities, including, by the way, communities that are somewhat removed from government, usually communities of migrant workers, communities of uh, people that don't speak the language. Yeah, the, the communities um, that fall through like the cracks. Of, yeah, exactly. they're, they're hard to measure. Like I know in the US, like the census and like mm -hmm. that's why like getting accurate counts is so important because it's like really hard to track a lot exactly. of groups actually that are big populations. When you think about the census example, think about how many communities don't trust the government enough to let, you know, a government representative knock on the door and report to you, but are active, for example, on 
uh, platforms like social media, like Facebook or Twitter, connecting with one another and talking about their day-to-day -day life. So we map out all these conversations and then we train models to recognize what these conversations are talking about and are they positive or negative in their essence. And that could vary very widely, right? It's not just people tagging the, I don't know, official Twitter handle for city of Syracuse and speaking their mind. It could be somebody uploading a selfie to Instagram and saying what a wonderful day at the park they're having. Or on the other hand, somebody tweeting about them hating to be stuck in traffic or somebody writing a long post on Facebook about how much they love kindergarten teacher and what a big change they made in their kid's life. All these things are valid feedback points to the work of government on some level or another, right? It's a parks and recreation department or the transportation department or the school district and the, the teachers within it. We loop in all these conversations. We recognize which topic they're on based on models that were trained on millions and millions of examples from these specific topics. And then we recognize if the sentiment that's being shared in them is positive or negative towards the work of this organization. And that's how we aggregate and we can show the trend. Are people talking about something more positive, like talking about it more or less, talking about it more positively or negatively? And what is driving both the positive and negative conversation based on popular keywords, clusters of, you know, the same story? things like that. No, that's so interesting. And I feel like, I don't know, a trend I'm noticing with like a lot of my recent conversations and a thing that I'm thinking about, and probably also because of my graduate studies, is how a lot of economic development, it, particularly at like the local level, it's storytelling, right? Like it's marketing mm -hmm. to win grants and to win and align the capital and stakeholders to do these big capital projects. And I feel like your tool, I don't know, it plays into that because you're looking exactly. at feedback. I don't know. It's so interesting. And I feel like it's a more sophisticated, I, different than anything I've ever thought. I don't know. And it's helping me understand like that relationship better. Example, just about the economic development use case that you shared. City of Fort Lauderdale, one of our, one of my personal favorite customers and a great city leadership, they were they had a great plan to build a soccer stadium, an MLS stadium. It was one of the last large pieces of land owned by the city. And there was a great capital project related to it that the city manager, deputy city manager, were very strong believers in. It's supposed to drive a lot of great benefits for the local community. And as the city leadership was working on, on pushing this capital project through, there was a small group of what we call the vocal minority that were that came to protest in every city council meeting, every occasion. And one of the city managers we work with calls these types of groups the the STPs, the same 10 people that always show up at every city council meeting, every community hearing. And these people shared very negative sentiment towards the project on a recurring basis in every meeting. And when the city council was supposed to vote on the project, you know, not all city council members felt comfortable approving this what the city saw as a great capital project because of this ongoing objection and what the city leadership did in this case is they actually downloaded a report from that showed that there was much more engagement online about the project that the majority of that engagement was significantly positive and they shared that quantitative data with the elected officials and that helped the city council get comfortable with the idea that this project actually is in the best interest of the community and represents the community well and they approved what is you know, one of the largest capital investments of, of the city in years. So I think, I think that's a great example. 
directly into what you're saying about how sometimes, you know, when we think about the landscape of a local government, about the interest of, of elected officials, sometimes vocal minorities skew the results not in favor of the community at large. And hopefully our tools increases to some extent that intake funnel of voices and feedback and allows to really hear um, what the community on a wider scale is thinking about things like capital investment projects. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's awesome. And so I'm curious, and maybe this is like a really unique perspective that you can offer because like you're based in Tel Aviv and like in Israel, like I'm curious how like local governments and cities operate like maybe differently, or is there any contrast you can make to like American local government as best you can and, and American local governments are operate very differently depending on which one you're talking about. So I'm just curious, like American cities versus, like, I don't know if that's like structurally, like, I don't know. I'm just curious if there's anything there you'd point to as different or unique. There are small differences. For example, if we compare Israel and the U S in Israel, the city is in charge of education. There's no school district, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not in charge of public safety. The, the police is a national organization. Got it. So, you know, these tiny differences, this and that, just as an anecdote, I remember when we started working in the U.S. for the first time, we saw that our model doesn't pick up conversations about snow removal because there is no snow in Israel. So we didn't have a, a category defined in our model for, for snow removal. And we saw that need come up from our first East, like, North, uh, Northeast customers that start working with us. So I think there are some nuances, but the interesting takeaway for me was actually the similarities. Like I was, you know, a big question we had starting out, we started here in Israel first. We had like our first six, seven cities here in Israel before starting to market in the US. And we had a big question mark on whether all of our assumptions um, about local government from Israel would replicate themselves yeah. in the US. And, and we were overwhelmingly surprised by the fact that this this shared challenge of listening to the community at large is something that city managers across the world are feeling whether they call them city managers like in the US or city CEOs like in Israel or executive directors like our customers in the UK they all share this same challenge of being able to hear the community at large beyond those STPs no, I love that point because like, I, I don't know. And I think urban problems and are very similar and like they're shared, right? Problems of like mobility and moving mm -hmm. movement of people, like they're all shared between cultures. And I feel like the U.S. is constantly looking and ideally should be looking at places, other cities and how they've solved these problems. Like I think Singapore is a great city that has done mm -hmm. a lot of great stuff and has used as a Definitely. model. But the question I always like come back to is like, does it work in like the U S and that's where, I don't know, it does seem to be like the hard part because like the policies and like what you should do seem to be like agreed upon in some ways, but it's just so hard to actually bring get them passed basically because like local government's so diffused and political coalitions are very hard to build. And so I feel like, I don't know, just more data and insights is exactly what I think everyone needs. So I, that's something. So one of the things we started doing recently and I'm thrilled about is facilitating some peer learning between our network. Now that we have about 200 um, agencies working with us, 
we can start to do two things. A, just facilitate, be a fly on the wall in rooms where local governments meet up. We organize a, a roundtable for counties under uh, 100,000 residents that work with us that share similar challenges of being smaller counties. We organize a roundtable for college towns that work with us um, to talk about the shared challenges of college towns and things like that. And just not even about Zen City and how to use Zen City, just general challenges that they're facing. And this to me was, was exciting. And the other thing we did was starting to allow our customers to see some benchmarking data. So for example, think about what one example that comes to mind for me was if you are a city in Arizona and you see that there's a 30% negative sentiment towards mask, the mask mandate that your mayor is trying to approve in city council, is it good or bad? Is it something that you need to be worried about or something that you need to say, hey, that's actually great and and I'm okay with it. And we help contextualize that. We, we would always tell you, you know, in comparison to other things, this is more negative or less negative in comparison to other conversations in your city. But now we can actually tell you in comparison to other cities in Arizona, you're actually much more positive on the mask mandate than you know, all the cities around you that have a 70% negative sentiment towards the mask mandate. So that ability to give context, I think, really speaks to what you were saying about, to, to that ability to learn about solutions from other places. So if we take a city that we know is doing a good job on uh, parking, right, or on bike lanes, or on any other topic, we can see what's driving the positive sentiment there, what are they doing in terms of projects, messaging, policy, and really on a measurable level, benchmark ourselves with them and try to strive to be. No, that actually really helped to understand it a lot better in that relationship. So I don't want to take up like too much more of your time. I know I'm not sure what time is it there in Tel Aviv right now. Just past 11:30 p.m. Ah, so yeah, I feel like I don't want to <laughs> keep you up too much later. So what no didn't I ask you that I should have? What did I miss here? What's uh, what do you want to leave the audience with? The last big thing we just announced is that we've recently acquired a, a great company called Elucid. They were based out of New York. So a we opened our New York office with that. But but more than that. The exciting thing about the Elucid acquisition is that we are actually inventing a new type of methodology for listening to the public here. We're, for the first time, mixing between proactive serving, which is like the, the classic way in which you get community feedback, listening capability that we at Zen City have been providing our customers for the last few years. And we're rolling out to our customers and to other local governments the ability to mix these two into one methodology and really get the best of, of, of both worlds, in my opinion. And I think that I'm personally very excited about it because I think it's we've seen a lot of gaps in what we're doing. We've seen, of course, a lot of gaps in other getting community input. That's why we started our company. And I feel like with the mix of these two tools into one now, we're creating a whole that is larger than the sum of its parts and, and really providing something that's much more close to a holistic approach to sentiment input than before. So I'm really excited to see if we've just uh, rolled it out to the first uh, four or five cities that will now join, be joint users, use both tools. And hopefully we can see that impact and roll it out to other places as well soon. That's super exciting. Congrats on uh, getting the New York office going. Um, I hope we'll get to chat again soon and thanks for taking the time. Sure, thanks for having me. Wasn't that conversation with Idle at Sin City so cool? I love what Sin City's doing and I look forward to following what they're up to in future editions. 
Now for part two of today's podcast and my conversation with Propel's community leader and co-founder, Emily Pick. First, I do want to note that the audio is not quite as great as it usually is for our podcast. We were testing out using and recording a live podcast on Clubhouse, so we weren't able to use our higher quality mics and audio equipment. So bear with us, but I think it should still be fine. And thank you to Emily for asking me questions about what's ahead for Urban Tech and what it's been like for building. I hope you enjoy. is recording now and so hello everyone Emily has agreed to ask me some questions for Urban Tech Premium and what it's going to be and usually I get to do asking the questions and she's been gracious enough to help me Emily uh, would you like to introduce yourself sure thing thanks for the invite I'm Emily I think I know most of you on the call but if we don't know each other, I'm the co-founder and head of Propel, which is a community for future builders. And John and I met back in the fall when he joined as a member. And so since then, I've been able to follow his trajectory with Urban Tech. And I'm and very excited to be able to ask um, him a couple of questions to hear more about what the premium product and community will look like. So do you want me to kick things off, John? Perfect. So I know you wrote a blog post for Propel a couple of weeks ago now, and it's been over a year since you've been writing Urban Tech. So can you tell us a little bit more about why you started the newsletter and, and pod and how it's evolved since you started it last summer? Yeah, so I started getting asked that question a lot, and it's only been like 11 or 12 months, just like shy of a year. And it's like really weird because I've been thinking about it for like long time because I worked in the media space and I think I like saw this rise of newsletters in my own career path because that was like the main way I was able to consume the media I needed to do my job as a PR and comms person in politics and then eventually working for startups. So I was always thinking about like newsletters and how like news is more digestible. And then I think also newsletters had a rise with also making a lot more content accessible for these high level topics that like, frankly, people that don't want to pay for like the New York Times to find business news and things like that. So there's been a lot of different inflection points for it, I feel like over the last few years. And now like with Substack, and I was finally at a transition period in my career. I was lucky where I could start writing and I finally decided to do it. And I had some subject matter expertise because I'd worked a little bit around the space in like a media context and was going to grad school at the time. I'm now taking like a pause to focus more on Urban Tech Premium exclusively. And so I was able to use that network to just start writing and do interviews. So I had a little bit, I think, of, I had seen how the sausage had been made in media basically. And so I was lucky enough to figure out how like to start doing interviews and I started writing and luckily now it's evolved from a newsletter into a podcast which was a huge way and super helpful because a lot of people are interested in podcasts and podcasts pair well with newsletters so I've been able to now like get a flow of content and now people come to me asking if they can come on and I think that's a really good inflection point and so I think really the next step is like now building a business around it and I think Media, there's a lot of different ways you can monetize, which is why it's a really exciting space. And then that on top of the space that I cover is really nascent and I think growing. So I think I'm pretty lucky that 
I don't know, there's a lot of open opportunity and I think the community space is still very nascent in a lot of ways. So figuring out how to combine community and media is a really exciting opportunity and I'm lucky to, I don't know, get to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, both spaces are definitely in, in public discourse a bit more. Why do you think that there's been this evolution of interest in the urban tech space? And how are you thinking about amplifying the, the right people, the right products, companies as a content creator covering it? Yeah, so it's interesting because it feels like it's also this real inflection point of a lot of products and tech companies over the last 10 years have really built products and solutions designed to optimize urban life or solve for urban problems. That combined with also just general media being more interested in startup tech news um, in a lot of different ways. Probably like the Facebook story when I was in college that was really starting to blow up. And I think that really opened up a lot of opportunities where you saw like the New York Times, the Washington Post start covering tech in a real news and hard way differently maybe than it had before. I don't know, I think Uber really rose and people realized that there's mobility and there's a lot of actual opportunities, markets to build startups and combine this technology to, I don't know. And then the funding really started to come when people realized there was this opportunity. So I don't know, it's blown up. And I think now you're seeing a lot more focus on other topics and areas other than say mobility, you're seeing people focus on newer topics and spaces, like how do we solve housing problems? I live in California and housing is one of the biggest issues and transportation is also one of the biggest issues. And so there's a lot of startups trying to figure out how to solve the problems in their local communities and where they live. So I think there's just a lot of interesting opportunity and really needs, unfortunately, because there's been a lack of either proactive policy or proactive resources going to fund these areas where startups and private markets really have a head start over maybe say government funding and doing innovation, which is a whole nother topic. Yeah, there's so much ground to cover. It's it's really exciting to think about. And so as you build out the newsletter and the podcast more and you create this premium product and community, how are you thinking about delivering value to the folks that have been along for the ride since last summer and then new people that might catch word or want to be part of what you're building? Yeah, it's very interesting because, I don't know, it's weird because it's changed and I think it's like every few months it changes or so just because the space also changes and the media is an ever-evolving landscape. And so I think it gets difficult to, I don't know, I think it's hard to market like a product and a nascent space at the same time, which is also why it's fun. So I think figuring out where I can find and provide value to the early subscribers and also build out just a full offering in terms of events like this, which we'll continue to do these events for subscribers and continue to build out this series. I think building towards maybe once COVID is over, physical in-person events. I don't know. I think that's the exciting thing. And content is luckily pretty scalable. And this niche has proven to be super interesting for people. So I think just continuing to build a business around that and having help from folks like you and just like folks around this community of urban tech people helping also build out this product is what's really exciting to me.
ask you an off-the-cuff question, which is, what has been your favorite interview as of late or over the course of your time running the newsletter in the pod? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm gonna have to say when I interview one of my favorite stories and like one of like I don't know when you like think back and I feel like about the stories and there's like a lot of different ones and all of them I love for different reasons, which is like a very terrible answer. But the one that really sticks out to me or like right now, it's I remember and there's a lot, but cul-de-sac when I interviewed their team, I think I remember it just felt like a very different type of interview because cul-de-sac was a company I'd been aware of for like several years. I'd been following their startup story when I was on like the PR side, which was like super interesting. So yeah, I think that was like a really cool moment to like connect with the team. And now it's, I'm really friendly with their team. I love Lava, who was the person I interviewed. They're awesome. They're building a really awesome product in community and Tempe. And I think everyone should go check out cul-de-sac. And I don't know, that's what's super interesting. It's now like seeing these startups that I started covering in like the first six months, now get funding, now build out their products, now evolve themselves and have these relationships. So I know I think that's been like one of the fun parts and then also seeing them ask these questions that I'm also asking, like how do you build maybe more so on the physical environment and I'm thinking about on the online digital environment, but how do you build a community that solves similar problems from the ground up and use technology to solve shared problems? So I don't know, that's been a super fun part of it all. And I think luckily there's proven to be I don't know, I think my connection might be zapping a little bit, but... No, you're good, you're good. Okay, cool. I think luckily, there's still a lot more room to grow. And I think luckily that's what like early subscribers have helped like me realize is that I can continue to build out and tell these stories in more creative ways through multimedia, video, and ultimately do more stuff really fast with it. Awesome. So it's a good preview to, to the types of content that you felt have been really impactful and interesting. Those are, are mostly my questions. I want to make sure we open it up to the room to, to ask you anything or to learn more details about what you're thinking about building. Do you want to yeah. or to the audience? Yeah, if anyone wants to raise their hand and like, ask me questions, we definitely have friends. So feel free to come up. And yes, it is being recorded and this will run in the Urban Tech Podcast. So you will be global. So feel free, I don't know, to come up and just ask like any questions. Let's see. Oh, Tom, welcome. Let's see. Let me put you up. How are you, Tom? Thanks. John, really excited to know what you're building here. I'm curious, what are the most interesting themes or types of companies that you're seeing emerging now in the urban tech landscape? And yeah, I would be really curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so I think that's a great question. And I know, first off, Tom is Emily's co-founder of Propel and a good friend of Urban Tech. So I think the most interesting things that I'm seeing now, it's, I feel like they're, the last 10 years, it was like solving mobility problems and a lot of those founders and a lot of people coming out from the mobility companies like Uber and are solving different pieces of like the mobility challenge from like scooters to like data companies. But I think housing seems to be like the big issue that a lot of founders, at least in the space, are trying to solve, like probably out of necessity, but then also climate tech. I think a lot of people are really focused on that problem in different ways. And unfortunately, what it seems like is like those problems are just incredibly massive. And there's just huge markets for even solving small pieces to those problems. 
which is unfortunately like a negative part of it all. But I think that's like the thing I'm excited about is like covering the space is like seeing it also play out more and seeing a lot more companies grow and continue to build out products and then also just see what those founders and those teams end up doing. Because I think that's what really it seems like the Uber has shown and like this mobility movement over the last 10 years is that there's a lot more people spreading out to solve these problems. And there's a real interest in city and tech working better together. And I think that's what I'm excited to like do more content and do more to show that there's an interest in that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's invite Jordan up. Yeah, no, that's an awesome question. I appreciate that, Jordan. I would say it's hard because it's like also covering like such a growing space and there's always funding news. There's always like these companies and startups expanding to new markets. So I feel lucky that I get to be like a little bit selective and really focus on telling stories about startups or like pieces that really resonate with this audience. So like something that's really important for me is like, companies and startups that are focused on being open to the communities and like cities that they're building in because they think the city space and this urban policy and urban landscape space is pretty rife with like equity issues and things of that nature so if the startups aren't being open to these communities and aren't looking to work with the communities it's I don't know. I think it's something that they have to be in this urban tech space. I think you have to be a lot more thoughtful than maybe you can be with like building a B2B SaaS product of some nature. So I think that's something I'm always looking at too. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Jordan. What other questions do you folks have? I have, a, I have another one. Um, yeah. John, who are some of the other writers or thinkers or celebrities such as they are in the urban tech space that you look up to? Yeah, it's it's interesting because like this space crosses over so many different pieces and there's like the tech side where there's like founders doing it and then there's like local leaders who are leading innovation, innovative solutions within local government, like urban planners or mayors or like people who just like the Department of Transportation. So yeah, I don't know. I think like Mayor Pete's one who's proven, I think I would go with him. It's like an easy one. And then I think there's like a bunch of really great founders who are just starting to uncover that like there's a huge massive need for better innovative products that are helping solve these solutions. So I don't know. Uh, That's like a hopefully good non-answer, but I'll go with Mayor Pete just because I think he's trying at the Department of Transportation to really, I think, push the landscape even further. So yeah, that will, I'll go with that as my answer. Awesome. Thanks. Quick follow up to that. If, if I don't want to hog the mic, but do you have any urban tech book recommendations? What's uh, what should be on everybody's shelf? That's always a good one. Books are always a good one. Let me think. 
I mean, like, the classic, I feel like, urban planning, like, manifesto book that, like, everyone, particularly, it seems like, when I worked in New York, read. It's Power Broker by Robert Garo. It's, like, a standard. You learn a lot about how everything works in, like, government in New York. It's, like, for American urbanism, a great case study for other cities and different structures. Let's see, what else? I think Mike Isaac's book on Uber is another fantastic kind of book to look at, like really how startups have like really taken on. And I think there's a lot of crossover with Google and companies of that nature and how they've thought more of that. And then let's see what else have I read. Oh, and then let's see. There's a bunch of like really amazing like housing and equity, I think, books about like American housing policy and American like real estate issues. So like Robert Reich, The Color of Law was like one of the first books that I like wrote about. And I think that's like a good case study on why American real estate and housing is such like a complicated space and why there's probably like just so many problems in it. So I'll go with The Color of Law. I think that's like the first book I ever reviewed or wrote about because like it's one of my favorites. Urban Tech Book Club, anyone? Yeah, that's that could be it. That's going to definitely happen one day. Absolutely. Okay, so let's see if anyone else wants to like, ask questions or if we can keep it going. Otherwise, we can finish up early, I think, because this feels like good for at least a recorded session. John, how does it feel to have your premium product launch? It feels good. It's good to like, have it out of the way have it like live and stuff which is like nice what's the most common question coming up from your customers i think what's next i feel like that's like a common thing it's like i don't know when you launch a product it's like interesting and it's now like converting like going from like a free product it's like now trying to figure out how to get people to see value and communicating that value like effectively which is like a really difficult like thing i think Oh no, you're building a product, Emily. You're like building like Propel. Let me turn that around and put that on you. What's like hard about like building Propel? Like what has been hard about like building that out? Do you want to know what's hard now or what was hard in the early days? Let's say now and then go early days so I can get that advice. It's all early, but I guess there's definitely a difference. What's hard now is the whole classic ruthless prioritization that someone who's building their own thing, you know, must do. So I've been spending a lot of time reflecting on my own kind of strengths and weaknesses as a founder, as a coach, as a co-founder and peer. Poor Tom has to deal with me every day and figuring out what I need to tweak myself and then what propel narrow it on. I don't think we're going to do any big pivots anytime soon, but I actually had a lovely call with Jordan today just talking about ways to better leverage my time and, and get brand awareness out. I think the thing that is super hard about building something that people don't talk about enough is how hard it can be to promote it and promote yourself alongside that. And it can be really uncomfortable if it's something that you're not used to doing, which might be slightly different since I don't have a PR background, but certainly has been a big challenge for me. I think in the earliest days, it was pretty much justifying that what we were building was valuable and doing that without a lot of data points is it's all about the confidence that you have in the vision. And I was really lucky that I had two co-founders to help you sell that vision. And so I think if you're doing it by yourself, it's finding people who can help you find the words and the testimonials and your users and customers are really the best, the best folks. So what we, we call 
our customers are members, so really just spending a lot of time with members, which is how you and I even became friends, and that's been a really uh, a piece of this that I'm incredibly grateful for. Does that answer your questions? Yeah, no, I feel like that's, like, a great thing. Well, I also feel like it's, like, hard because it's, like, community building. It's, like, this new space, so it's, like, how, what is, like, a product in this space looks like? Like, what yeah. does that mean? Which is, like, very interesting, and there's a lot of different flavors to communities. Yeah, I think if you're building something that is meant to be disruptive or different, you're bound to face that. I also just have a feeling, though, being an entrepreneur is challenging regardless, even if you're, unless you're fully copycatting something that exists out there. It's getting, I think everyone says, like, your first time founding something is definitely a lot different than if you go back and do it a second or a third time. But, yeah, it's fun to do it with other people, and fortunately we've got loads of, of builders and propellers or people thinking about it, which is awesome. Yeah, wait. Why don't we talk about what people are building? Wait, Jordan, what are your, you're a builder on the States. What are you building? Thanks for uh, putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, I'm happy to uh, talk about what I'm building. For some of you I've met, others I haven't, but my name's Jordan Mitchell. I'm the founder and executive producer of a creative agency called Growstack Media, and we help companies accelerate their uh, revenue generation faster through scalable content and digital strategies. So work with a lot of like uh, B2B tech startups, um, specifically helping them really just go in and leverage their content marketing strategies to get new customers, have business development, leverage, and also, and also make sure that they're showing up consistently in front of the right audiences. So that could be channel specific, or it could be creating content that's funnel specific in a way that's going to better accelerate the customer journey so they can make sales faster. Yeah, Jordan, you're basically a content master. So if any of the audience needs like content or multimedia help, Jordan is like the person to go to. I was lucky to like work with you and you helped me like think through content a lot better and stuff. So thank you for being an early supporter of Urban Tech and being like one of the best early members. I appreciate the shout out, man. Thank you. Cool. So unless anyone else has like questions or wants to come up, I feel like we got it. It's good. So, Emily, do you have anything else or anything else you want to ask before we go or if anyone has any questions? Nothing for me. I know that we had one person just joined, so sorry that you missed most of it. But John is a great person to follow up with. If you don't follow Urban Tech, it's on all of the socials. And I'm really excited to watch the community come together to better power a lot of the initiatives behind urban planning and the in-cities and how that all intersects with tech. So super proud of you and excited to see what's to come. Thank you, Emily, and thank you for going and thank you everyone for joining and please subscribe to Urban Tech. I'll talk to you soon. One final ask before I go, please continue to share the Urban Tech newsletter and podcast with friends, family, and colleagues. Anyone who could benefit from learning about how tech is changing our cities more and more every day. Thanks, and I'll talk to you soon.